Hi, it's Mark Stenson. I'd like to tell you about a new sponsor who's unlocking creativity in a unique way. It's an app called Headphone. That's H-E-A-D-F-O-N-E. On Headphone, you can listen to premium audio dramas like romance, thriller, and horror. I was just listening to Dracula Reborn that breathes new life into Bram Stoker's classic tale. Right now, Headphone is offering listeners a 10% discount when you use this code to subscribe. Mark Creativity 10. So go to headphone.page.link slash markcreativity10. I'll put that link in the show notes. And thanks again to the folks at Headphone for their support of the podcast. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And today we're going to dive into a fascinating overlap of creativity, neuroscience, and happiness. My guest is Dr. Paul J. Zach. He's a professor of Claremont Graduate University and a distinguished scientist whose work has taken him to the boardroom, entrepreneurship, TED Talks, and writing, including his new book, Immersion, The Science of Extraordinary and the Source of Happiness. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm so interested in this overlap, and I wondered if you could tell us about that defining moment where you saw this intersection. So most of my professional life has been spent creating knowledge and technologies to help people live happier, healthier lives. And as a way to bring the things we discover in my academic lab to the world, I ended up starting companies or working with people to commercialize the findings we had. And once we had enough information about this neurologic standard called immersion, it made sense to bring this to the public by founding the first neuroscience as a service platform that lets anybody measure what their brain loves in real time, any place people are doing interesting things. This idea of defining that immersion neuroscience to find the brain's preference. What, what is it about unlocking what's inside the brain to understand that? In the sense that I just want to get to the core factors driving human behavior. And surprisingly, that behavior doesn't come from your elbow or your knee. It comes from your brain. And so by measuring brain activity while people are doing particularly decision tasks, which is really what differentiates you from me, from the guy down the street, our different sets of decisions, then we can very efficiently identify why you like chocolate ice cream, I like vanilla, why um, my neighbor shops at The Gap and I shop at Nordstrom, right? Those are kind of trivial examples. But if we can identify the valuation mechanism in the brain for experiences, then we can reverse engineer the process and create extraordinary experiences that we all want. So I used to give the example of the DMV, the kind of worst experience, except I was at my local DMV recently because I had to renew my license and they have fixed it. Yes. Like, so, Somebody has been working on DMV experience. Yeah, someone yes. checked me in. They, they told me where to go. They told me how long I'd have to wait. It was efficient. And I said, at the end, I'm like, I love you guys. I'm not going to trash the DMV anymore because you have now figured out that people don't want to stand in line forever without information, without a human talking to them, right? So they have screens, they have monitors, you're going places. I was in and out in five or six minutes. That was really amazing. Lift up the hood a little bit on, on this technique. 
What are some of the methodologies that you use to, to measure this? Yeah, great question. So we started doing this about 20 years ago, Mark, and not only am I uh, cheap, lazy, but I'm also slow. <laughs> because 20 <we're>, years. <laughs> from a scientific perspective, we really want to make sure we understand this principle. We publish research. That research is vetted by experts. And so you don't want to put crap out in the world. And so, yeah, trying to do this really carefully. I, I should say the original work was funded by the U.S. taxpayers. We were tasked by the Department of Defense and some other agencies to identify combinations of signals in the brain that would accurately and consistently predict what people would do after a message or an experience. And so in my lab, we generally start with looking at changes in neurochemicals in blood. So we do a blood draw, we show you, for example, a public service announcement, do another blood draw, and then pay some money because we're torturing you, and then say, hey, by the way, if you want to flip some money back to the charity associated with uh, what a childhood poverty, go for it, you can do it or not, and we'll do it privately. And we compare productivity to people who did something observable to those who did not. So our task was to create a neurologic prediction engine, not a feeling engine. So I don't really care how you feel. Mm -hmm. And we find this a lot with advertising in which what people say they like on self-report is not what moves markets and is not what tickles your brain. This, this uh, neurologic state I've called immersion that we uncovered that seems to be the brain's valuation mechanism for experiences with some social content. So Try. I'm trying to answer your question. I'll do it uh, briefly if I can. So once we discover this combination of signals from the brain, we can evolve them away to create a single signal that's very highly accurate and predicts across domains. So that is, it tells you how much your brain values this experience. And mark this, our brains, not only me, but our brains are super, super lazy too. They just want to idle most of the time. So when we see this neurologic state of a call of immersion, it's really metabolically costly. The brain goes, holy crap, this is really exciting to me. Now, that's a continuous variable, right? There's low exciting, medium exciting, high exciting. And so the more exciting, the more immersive this is to the brain, it's like putting tension in your brain that goes like nagging you, Mark, this is great, this is mm -hmm. great, this is great. And then a proportion of people will go, oh, yeah, this I'm looking for a prop now. These are the world's best mints. I should really buy those. That's the reason I think that immersion strongly predicts, you know, what songs will be hits three months in advance, how many uh, tickets uh, a movie will sell, whether people remember an ad, the kind of it's been used in corporate training uh, by Accenture for six years. Like, how do we craft training, which is generally, again, really metabolically costly, so that people get it and we create the ROI of training, which to me is information retrieval, right? That information stuck in my brain. So now I can use it weeks or months later. It's great value for my organization. And you've mentioned a couple of times, both content messages and experiences. And I, I note that I first learned about your work in a uh, journal article in the Sloan Management Review on the neuroscience of customer experience. So I wanted to, to dive in a little deeper on customer experience because retail and shopping, but also restaurants, entertainment, all sorts of customer experiences that we've really found drive uh, brand growth and uh, financial growth for that matter. If you have a positive customer experience, you're more likely to recommend, you're more likely to sh share it with a friend kind of thing. And uh, so I'm curious, as design thinkers, sometimes you say we want to design these experiences, not leave them to chance. How can we apply some of this research to these experiences? Yeah, that's the key question, right? If it's just amusing or interesting science, then it's not really useful from a business perspective. So the business case here is using neuroscience to drive up customer lifetime value. 
right? I want to wow that customer so much that he or she says, oh my gosh, not only was this a great experience now, but I want to repeat it. So it turns out that the two core components of immersion, one is attention. I've got to be present. If I'm if I'm distracted, it's not going to be a great experience. And the second is it's got to uh, resonate with me emotionally. And so the neurochemicals that um, are associated with attention and emotional resonance have this interesting interplay that create a craving to repeat the experience. They burn this into memory and go, wow, this was a fabulous experience. So we mentioned right before we got on, I just uh, returned from Cape Town, South Africa. So it's about a 28-hour flight for me to get back to Los Angeles. You know, long, And I tell you, the service was extraordinary. Uh, I'll mention this to United Airlines. Thank you, United. Uh, Flight attendants, happy to be there. The first flight is 15 hours. Like you can spend a lot of time with these people. And every time they smile, I'm like, these people are in the right job. They realize yeah. we paid a lot of money for this flight and they want to make this experience really great. Like they they weren't faking. It was authentic. I'm like, wow, these people are awesome. So that now has me remember. And remembering, I know the airline, what a great experience it was. I can remember the name of the flight attendants. Like it was just a, an amazing experience. So they've created that craving for me. So what are those components? There's really three things to think about. One is um, what I call staging. So let's create the environment where I can really be immersed in that experience. So I've got to make you comfortable. I've got to uh, create what we call psychological safety. So we have a physiologic measure of that. Are you comfortable in this environment? If not, let's work on that first. And what do you think you do when you get on the airline? Oh, hello. They know me, right? Hello, Mr. Zach. Would you like a, a champagne? Would you like a cup of coffee? Whatever. Oh, yeah. Coffee would be great. Thank you. So they used my name. They made sure I was comfortable. Anything else I can get you before we take off? Okay, great. They did a great job on that. The second is now to create the experience for me. And that experience we have found by measuring over 50,000 brains that uh, a narrative structure is the best way to sustain someone uh, in immersion. So I'm going to tell you about the thing I'm selling you or the thing I'm informing you about using a narrative structure. So that is human scale, introducing a character, having a mystery, having a crisis that's resolved. And if it's resolved using the product or service that I'm trying to tell you about, then I understand, because that's the way our brains work as social creatures, oh, this is how I use this new exciting thing. And then again, I might want to purchase it. And then the third part of that is how I deliver it. So I could make you comfortable, psychological safety. I could use a narrative structure. But Mark, if I talk in a monotone, it's going to be terrible, right? So it turns out that this immersive state, immer sorry, this neurologic state of immersion is contagious. If I'm excited about this, like I am right now, you get excited about this. So you have to deliver it with passion, with authentic emotion. So those three components are measurable and controllable. So the innovation for the platform was, we said, get this out of the lab. We all want great experiences, right? You don't want a, a boring spouse. You don't want to have a, a dog that ignores you. And you don't want to have a customer experience that's just going to be mundane or frustrating. And so once we can measure psychological safety and immersion, then I can say, oh, who in my, who, what part of my sales team, what member of my sales team creates the most immersive experience, which correlates strongly with sales? What is he or she doing? How do I replicate? How do I train the other people to do that? Are they touching the client on the shoulder? Are they showing the clothing? Are they offering them a cup of coffee? I think of all testable. And what's interesting is that what works for Nordstrom may not work for the Gap, right? Maybe right. those are different customers. Those are different sales associates. So even though we're capturing activity from these old parts of the brain that capture emotion, the experience of that for the customer may be quite different, hence measurement.
I love that. I think it's worth uh, underscoring for the listeners who think about designing customer experiences. You've got this psychological safety, this comfort, and then second, the narrative, the story, and third, the delivery, the medium, and the fact that it's measurable. This is what I like. It's not just we went through the steps, one, two, three, and we got it. Uh, but rather, was one leading, is one behind, is one lagging? And then, as you say, are different people or different locations or different settings delivering them in different ways that it uh, truly is measurable? Good stuff. And also, I think we are, once we get to be adults, we can learn, but that learning is actually metabolically costly too. So somehow, Mark, seeing the data, like my own data, I go, oh, I'm actually not doing what I thought I was doing because obviously I'm an adult. I know what the hell I'm doing. We don't. We actually don't know that. Anyway, yeah, it's all measurable. So I'm measuring my brain right now. So (laughs) that smile means relative to my baseline, I'm getting more value from this than I do at baseline. Run zero to 100. I'm at whatever that is, 65. And my background's winter, so I'm a little bit stressed. I'm excited talking to you, but that's okay. Moderate stress is fine, actually. So we want to have challenge stress. We want to be really focused. We don't want to live in a zero stress world. The zero stress world, Mark, is your brother-in-law who sits on the couch all day drinking Coors beer and playing video games. He's under stress, or he, he needs to be <laughs> not thriving. He's just in a bubble. Yes, I love that. And I guess then to carry this uh, the step further to the subhead of your book that includes this source of happiness. So we've been talking about satisfying customer experiences, but let's take that to the next highest level. Uh, of true happiness. There's customer satisfaction, but then there's true human emotion and happiness. So that's a good question. So as I said earlier in our preamble, a lot of my work has been on that question, right? It is the big question, right? How do I live a long, happy, successful life? And what we have found in the published literature is that when I have these peak immersion experiences, I begin to train my brain to be more present and more emotionally open. And we know from literature from my lab and others that individuals with stronger social connections live longer, healthier, and happier lives. So I think from a business setting, it says that businesses that want to create extraordinary customer experiences are doing this sacred job, which is helping people have the ability neurologically to really be connected to those around us, right? Those customer experiences are not asocial, they're social, right? Even if they're online, they're still, from the brain perspective, they're still social. And so if I can, as a business, create those extraordinary experiences, high immersion experiences, yeah, I increase customer lifetime value, I make people super happy, and I'm setting them up, like me when I got home from South Africa, I'm a happy camper, man, I had a great experience, had a couple good meals, watched some movies, I'm just a happier person when I get home. This is a really amazing thing that we can, even as we age, we can actually connect better to people around us. In fact, we found this interesting, positive, although low slopes gradient, as we get older, we're more likely to have highly immersive experiences because we have better emotional regulation. Right? You get old enough, like you and me, I don't really care. Someone cuts off me in traffic, I don't care. When I was 25, I, I chased that guy down. <laughs> and, eh, whatever, the guy's in a rush, I don't even care. And so that emotional regulation means I can spend more of my time in the, sort of the positive emotion quadrant rather than the angry, I don't know, get revenge quadrant. Yes. And the anger just, again, burns energy. It sucks the life out of you. So isn't that amazing that we can train ourselves, even when we're older, to be better social connectors? That means investing in relationships. And those could be work colleagues. We're going to form relationships with them. Could be friendships. As my kids transitioned out of my house, I've 
college and post-college aged kids, I started making friends and having more like free time to, to have hobbies, which I never had when I had my kids were little, right? And so you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm 55 and I just built four great guy friends who are amazing, who I really love these, like brothers. Like we just do all the cool stuff together. And that's weird, right? Like even when you're older, you can still build these powerful relationships. And so we're not only talking about customer experiences, but life experiences, aren't we? Yeah, they are. And I think they run together. Yeah. What do you do with your buddies? You go do something. You don't sit around, the, like generally, you don't sit around the house and I don't know, maybe you watch sports, but for my friends, we're out doing something. So we're spending money having crazy adventures, jumping out of airplanes and skiing and doing whatever. And it's, that's a positive peak experience. And it's enhanced when we're with a group. So I think one business takeaway is for corporate training, for a customer experiences, Social always adds more immersion to it, right? If it's a social experience, if I'm shopping with my friend as opposed to shopping by myself, it's just going to be a better experience. I have someone to talk to or tra think of travel. That's an easy one, right? You tra you've traveled alone. I've traveled alone a lot. It's no problem. I was eight days in South Africa, had a great time and uh, met a bunch of people because I was speaking and all that. But when I went to Cape of Good Hope, I was there by myself. And I still mm -hmm. had a good time. But imagine I had someone I really cared about. I could, oh my God, look at this. Uh, we saw penguins. They're like these crazy penguins down there. Yes. And so I'm taking pictures. I'm sh sharing them with my family or whatever. But I'm don't, I have not anybody acutely to talk to about that. So it's a different experience. Oh, terrific. Listeners, my guest is Dr. Paul Zach. And Paul, you mentioned something ever so briefly, and I read about this. I, I would be remiss if I didn't shift a little bit and talk about how machine or this kind of immersion can predict a hit song. We've talked about a lot of different customer experiences, but is there a way for this kind of science to predict what's going to be a hit on the radio or on streaming or wherever we get our music? Like all good questions, the answer is probably yeah. yes. I'll give you the backstory on this. I'm going to suppress the name of the company, but I was in New York and I was having a meeting with a guy someone introduced me to. I didn't know well. I worked for a big streaming service that you would know. And he said, and I said, what's the biggest problem you have at your company? He says, too much music. There are 24,000 new songs released every day worldwide. We subcategorize them, but ultimately we have a human listen to a 20-second clip and give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I know those humans are making mistakes because people get tired, they get hungry, the dog barks, who knows? He said, I just wish it was a more efficient way to, to go through this music. And he said, you know, tell me about what you guys do in the lab. And I said, so man, could immersion predict hit songs? I'm like, man, no one's ever done that before. Okay, I love a challenge. That sounds like fun. So I said, well, how about we do the world's cleanest experiment? You have some songs that across all genres, you pick them. And then when they're released, you follow them for three months. And then three months later, you decide the cutoff for a hit or a flop. So send us all that data. We'll have people listen to it, measure their brand activity. And then once you give us the number of downloads, number of streams, number of editions of playlists, we'll just see if we can predict that. And then what we found is that because this valuation mechanism in the brain we found, immersion, is so rich. We're getting data second by second. When we apply machine learning to these data, you get very strong predictive accuracy. So we were able to predict with 97% accuracy three months in advance, which of those songs they sent us would be hits or flops. And that's now published. If you Google my name and uh, I don't know, hit song or something, you can actually read the, the scientific article. Now it's, now I said maybe, right? So they sent us 24 songs. Now across a whole mm -hmm. bunch of genres. Again, this valuation mechanism seems to be 
fairly universal across individuals, but we don't really know for sure. If you sent me a thousand songs, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm at 97%. I don't think I can get a lot better than that, <laughs> a lot of data. But yeah, I think we found something really valuable here. And of course, once that research came out and the media picked it up, we're in talks with a bunch of uh, record producers about using our technology. Really, again, because I'm a cheap bastard, remember? I, I <laughs> so much wasted energy and time, particularly by young artists or young content creators who don't have the experience the Rolling Stones do on playing 100,000 bar gigs and whatever. What if you had this tool that said, oh, not only do I like this, but now if I begin to edit this piece of content so that my audience gets more immersion, they love it more, if you will, boy, that's that'd be a great tool for young artists and also for music distributors. Where do I put my marketing money? Do I... Yes. Put it on, I don't know, better to cost 20 different artists. Do I put it on two or three artists? How do I actually build a hit? So I think that's also really useful is because I just hate to see wasted effort, wasted time. So I live outside Los Angeles. The data on that mark are that 80% of Hollywood movies have lost money for the last 30 years. Right. 80%. How is that possible with multi-million dollar budgets, a team of data analysts? And I think it's because they're still doing this pencil and paper stuff. We know mm -hmm. they do a screener. And they give you a pencil and a piece of paper and they go, tell me what you like. Did you like the ending? What was the costume? I don't care. What I want to know is, did that shake up your brain so much? You go, holy crap, that was an amazing movie. I'm going to tell my friends about it. Maybe I'll see it again. That's what we really want. And that's so far out of conscious awareness that asking people is always going to be a fool's errand. Going back to what you said before about this is about behavior. This is about what action will you take, not, ah, it feels good, easy to dance to, whatever. This is not your old Dick Clark prediction of uh, what a good song is. And that really changed my whole philosophy of science, even in my when I put my research hat on. In the old kind of neuroscience approach, it's like, what part of the brain is most active when you listen to music? That's an okay question. Um, mm -hmm. but we're asking a different question. If I take a lot of signal from the brain, could I actually see how much your brain values that music? And so this approach now, Mark, is called brain as predictor. So it turns out that at least for some things, if you measure brain activity from a moderate number of people, like 35, 40 people, you can predict market outcomes because these brain signals are highly conserved across individuals. They're very similar. So I don't need to measure a thousand brains, right? I can measure a moderate number of brains and still have very good confidence. Again, not just us doing this. There's lots of other neuroscientists doing this approach as well. Fantastic. Paul, can't thank you enough for the conversation. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And, and it's activated a lot of sides of my brain. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Those neurons are sparking. That's so, right. Uh, what a pleasure to talk to you. And for listeners, happy to engage. Any friend of yours, Mark, or listener of yours is a listener or a friend of mine. So you guys can reach out and find me. I love that kind of collaboration. Yeah. Website's getimmersionwithanai.com and uh, shoot me an email if you've got further questions. I'm happy to talk. That sounds great. My guest has been Dr. Paul J. Zach, professor at uh, Claremont Graduate University. He's author of Immersion, the neuroscience of creativity, happiness, and what's going on in our brain that creates these actions. Thanks again, Paul, for being on the show. And listeners, continue this kind of new thinking. It's great to have hunches. It's great to work on our intuition. It's also good to have data. And it's also good to follow the science. When we put those two together, that's when the magic really happens. So until next time, I'll be unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. 
This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for The Patients Speak on your favorite podcast app.